Hey, Brock, how are you? Well, I'm doing well, but now I'm a little uh, insecure about our sign-on. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. People will know that something's wrong when we break break from our habitual introduction. Yeah, <laughs> hopefully people like it. Yeah, well, I want to talk to you about socks, I want to, and then we're also going to talk to uh, the co-founder of Bombfell today, Sarah Lee. Nice. First, I'm excited today because I'm starting demolition on my future office in my detached garage from my house, but the roof was rotted. I think I might have mentioned it in the past. I'm ripping the roof off. I'm building a second story, and that will be my new detached home office studio. So I'm pretty psyched today. Oh, that's awesome. That's like the dream to have a, a separate space from your house that's like your office slash studio. That's, that's going to be so cool. Yeah, this morning I was recording a video and my wife flushed the toilet and then you can like hear in the pipes above like where I shoot because I'm in the basement. And so it'll be like a whole separate mind workspace thing. So that's what my next couple of uh, weeks look like. It'll take, a, it'll take a little bit of time. How much of that are you doing yourself? I would say 50%. Okay. A lot of the, because I did a lot of my own renovation when I renovated my house. Now it's more of, it's more of a time versus value issue. So have to outsource a lot of it. What have you been up to in the last week? I know you've been trying to post more videos. You did your live stream on Sunday. Yeah, I got to pick Saturday or Sunday because people are like, wait, wh when is this live stream? So I probably <laughs> do it at the same time, um, get people used to it. But, but yeah, that's always fun. Did a, a video on color that I was pretty pretty happy with. I'm trying to do more stuff like that. That's like just kind of really solid advice in eight minutes that has a lot of uh, staying power. So you know that advice a couple of years from now will still be relevant. So I'm trying to mix that in with you know the other types of videos that I'm doing, like shopping videos, try on videos that are more of the time of the season. You know. Yeah, I have like a whole Evernote thing saved with color guides for matching ties and pants and sock or, you know, pants and shoes, that kind of stuff. I think that stuff is always good to just, even just to refresh. Oh yeah. I mean, colors, it's, it's so confusing. There's so many options. I mean, I, I think anything about matching jackets, ties, shirts, uh, and then like mixing, you know, odd trousers, vests and, and uh, jackets, that would be great advice that people seem to really want. Yeah. And then, cause I would, I also liked your, your ways to be more attractive. I, I love that your number one tip is get a tailor because that was that was definitely the turning point for me too when I realized that clothes should fit a certain way. Yep, that is. I mean, that's like the number one thing that sets guys apart who who dress really sharp and guys that don't. You know, it's it's just that they either they're super lucky and they happen to have an off the rack build, which is like one out of ten maybe, um, or they just get their clothes tailored. So it's funny because that's that's one of those things that if if you're in the you know, men's style advice community, I guess, uh, or if you just watch YouTube channels about that, you hear it all the time. So I, I always feel like a bit of a broken record uh, saying to find a tailor, make sure your clothes fit. But I don't know, every time I leave my house, I still see so many guys who don't do that. So I, I, I think it, you know, it's worth repeating until, uh, <laughs> until more of the general public, you know, realizes the value of clothes that fit. Um, I, what I wanted to, to ask you about today, though, I don't, it's been on my mind since we recorded our last one, is to talk about socks. Because I think once we talked about how much I love over-the-calf socks, and then I told you that I've been really into the shirt tail garters recently, keeping my socks up. But what do you think about, like, in the summer, guys go sockless or uh, the no-show socks with, like, the rubber on the back? Where do you stand on 
first we'll do summer style, and then we can talk about others. Yeah, I'm a huge proponent of no-show socks. I I have a lot of them, and I've tried a bunch of different brands. Uh, definitely, you got to you got to get ones that have the rubber grip uh, inside of the heel, um, and you got to get ones that are actually no-show because a lot of them. Uh, have too much coverage, and so if you wear like boat shoes or, or any other very low-profile shoes, they'll actually show, which I don't think is a very good look. Um, but I, I love them. I mean, yeah, you can go, so- you can actually go sockless with some types of shoes like boat shoes. Um, but the reality is, like, it's it's going to your feet are going to smell, <laughs> you know, after a while, especially if it's really hot outside. So you can use foot powder and stuff like that. But um, I, I just think no-show socks are the solution. I uh, actually did a pretty in-depth uh, blog post just trying to find the best ones. And um, I think it's, I think that actually is what shows up if you Google best no-show socks. So <laughs> if you're looking for those, maybe you'll end up on that post. Yeah, because I have a few that I really – I mean, like I really like the Mack Weldon ones. Those are pretty low profile for boat shoes. But it seems like if you spend a little bit more money on – boat shoes then you can get the fully lined leather interiors and then they aren't as necessary i haven't really found personally that if i have a fully lined shoe then my feet don't really smell if i get shoes that have like a perfect example is the greats versus the stan smith video i did the i've never found going sockless in the greats which are fully lined interiors that my my shoes and my feet ever smell but in the stan smith because it has the cotton or whatever the uh footbed is in the Stan Smiths, that is what ends up holding the smell and then my feet smell after wearing those. And so, I, I mean, I definitely have the socks, but uh, the whole no sock look to me is is so summer. Yeah, yeah. That, that's a really good point about the quality of the shoe. I mean, I mean, even Sperry's, like, you know, and it, it takes some getting used to, I think, first of all, breaking in a shoe and also getting used to the feel of, of going sockless. It is a little weird, maybe a little uncomfortable at first, but yeah, I, I think, I think it's an amazing look. I think it's gone too far. You know, when you see these GQ photo shoots with somebody wearing a suit and double monks with no socks, that's ridiculous in my opinion. Um, you know, it's not comfortable, and it, you know it, it doesn't make sense not to wear socks when you're fully suited. <laughs> I don't care, you know, what what season it is. And if you're going to a summer wedding or something, and you're not wearing a suit and you're wearing loafers, linen trousers, sure, maybe you can go sockless, but. I think I think uh, GQ has taken this one a little too far. <laughs> well, what about uh, whether it is a summer or, or mostly fall winter? Is do you like the kind of crazy sock thing where there's a lot of colors and designs, or do you just like to have something simple? Where do you stand on uh, the design of socks? I, I'm not a huge fan of the crazy bold socks that have gotten uh, really popular. I think um, just with all the all the new sock delivery and subscription. Companies, you know, they they seem to focus on, they seem to use bolt socks as like a selling point, which I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm in the minority, and, and most guys want that. Um, for me, I think they're just not as versatile, you know. So if you have some crazy pair of socks with some crazy pattern on it, and you know, three three different colors, it's probably not going to work with most of the stuff you have. So I'd rather just have, you know, solid colors or subtle patterns that. Uh, that work with most of the pants and shoes that I own. But I don't know, where, where do you stand? I used to have a ton of crazy pattern bold socks. I would say 2011 was really the peak of that. So I might have been just ahead of when uh, that really hit or right right in that space. Like I had, you know, the socks with donuts and socks with tacos and 
uh, neon color, not quite neon colors, but you could still pull them off in a business casual setting. Um, but I, more so now, like some of the, the gentleman's box, espresso box ones that I get where they're just like a nice crimson red, very kind of understated. Uh, I like having the colors to match something else that I'm wearing, but I don't like it to, to really pronounce themselves. Yeah, I, I think there's a place for it. You know, I have this one pair of socks that has this, uh, like, pink. It's like their gray, like, light gray socks with this pink rose uh, print. And I, I don't know. I just love those socks for some reason. They're, like, perfect with, like, one or two outfits in the summer. But, uh, yeah, they don't, for the most part, I mean, I, I probably have, I don't know, 15 pairs of socks, 20 pairs of socks. And most of them are just kind of solid colors that uh, will go with my, my suits and, and trousers and jeans. I read somewhere too, someone said something about like black socks are not always the best option. I wasn't sure about that. I guess it depends on what other colors you're wearing. Yeah, I've heard that the the one rule of thumb that you can pretty much always use is if your socks are, are the same color as your trousers, just one shade darker, that's always going to look good. So if you're wearing you know, medium gray suit, uh, dark gray socks, Will, will look good no matter what kind of shoes you're wearing same with navy or blue or you know so i mean black socks i guess they'd look good with like a charcoal suit or a black suit maybe even a navy suit probably not as versatile as like navy socks or gray socks i don't think of ever like a light gray sock that would look weird yeah i, I think if the socks are lighter than your pants i mean they're definitely going to stand out you know so i guess it kind of depends on what you want yeah it is a good rule of thumb one shade darker I was uh, catching up on your because you've been releasing so many videos. <laughs> I was catching up on uh, the the bag. What was the brand of the gym bag that you reviewed? Oh, Hamilton Perkins. I think I improperly positioned that as a gym bag. It's just a nice bag, but I I needed a to replace my gym bag, which was the which was the thing. Right, right, that's right. The old uh, speedo bag. <laughs> yeah, man, a lot of memories of that bag. It's 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 funny, like the gym style. Whether it's your gym bag or what you wear to the gym, that's that's a whole uh, that's a whole other category. And so I kind of go back and forth on trying to look decent at the gym and you know having a nice bag and stuff versus like total utility, not really caring about what I look like because I'm I'm not there for that. You know, uh, where where do you fall on that spectrum? Yeah, someone commented that I should just go get an Under Armour bag from like Kohl's, but I I've literally never seen an Under Armour bag that I'm like that's a pretty good looking bag. And like this one. I mean, it, the, the big thing for me, why I thought of it as a gym bag is that inner lining is some sort of like vinyl, which is like essentially water resistant or waterproof. And so if I put a, a damp towel in there after my shower and I'll keep the bag at my desk for the rest of the day, it's not going to ruin the bag or anything. And so uh, I always, I mean, I always try to at least level up where I'm going. If it's a gym and everybody's using trash bags for their um, for their gym clothes, I'd at least like to have an actual bag. So I always, you know, I'd rather look more put together than the rest of the people in the room, which is my rule of thumb. Yeah, I think that's a good rule. And, you know, I saw that comment. I almost replied to that guy. He left another comment saying something about, like, are you kidding me? Like $90 for a bag? Like, are they paying you or something like that? I was like, dude, are you serious? Like, I mean, and that's that's the thing. That's the kind of guy that is in the gym with, you know, a, a ratty tank top and uh, some old Under Armour bag with like a giant logo on it. You know, just n n nothing wrong with that necessarily. But I, I think his comment was uh, 
kind of expressing frustration maybe that that you cared about your appearance even at the gym yeah i don't think i have i don't have the biggest audience but i like to think that the ones that i have care about products like that bag which is made of recycled material which looks pretty good nice design and that's why when because you know you and i we both get two three four companies a day trying to get us to put stuff on our channels and that was one where i was like you know what this is pretty nice i'll look into this a little bit more yeah, yeah, totally. Well, that, that was a funny thing too about, I mean, that particular comment. It's like that you have you're one of the rare channels that, at least yet, you know, you, you don't really do anything sponsored. Or, you know, so obviously you have some affiliate links, but it's very unbiased stuff. So I thought that was a uh, that's just kind of interesting. It's like no matter what you do, you're gonna have people who kind of accuse you of being biased. Yeah, but I love anybody who comes in and gives me a comment in the first day. Those are those are our best people. That's true. That is true. I think they call themselves the notification squad or the bell squad. I've seen that on other channels. Yeah, notification squad. <laughs> yep, I'm on your notification squad. Oh, nice. Yeah, I appreciate it. I always wonder how many people actually get, because I guess if you have the bell, if you click the bell, that means you get an email when a video goes up. Yeah, either email or push notification. Depends on your, depends on what YouTube thinks that you respond to. Okay, okay. Yeah, I wonder what like the average percentages of people who actually get notifications to people who subscribe. Probably very low. Yeah, but I think it's increasing. That was my YouTube conspiracy back in episode two. If anybody wants to hear my YouTube algorithm conspiracy theory. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool. I'll throw it over to Sarah Lee, co-founder of Bombfell, one of the subscription companies that I found to be one of the best out there when I did my roundup and I was really excited to chat with her. She's our first female on the podcast. So we'll throw it over to Sarah. Today I'm joined by Sarah Lee, co-founder of Bombfell. And Sarah, you're actually billed as the LeBron James of fashion. Is there a story behind that? Um, I think that was just Vernie trying to weave in some of his basketball knowledge. I don't know exactly what that means, but I'll take it as a compliment. Yeah, I think so. That's what I uh, I found on Crunchbase, and I thought that was uh, pretty funny. But it also said you're a professionally trained pastry chef. That's right. I studied pastry in Oakland, California, and I worked for a fine dining restaurant in the pastry line for uh, uh, for a while. And it was at actually the same time as when Baumfeld first started, so I actually had to make a decision, and obviously I stuck to Baumfeld. Wow. Well, we can get to that. You grew up in the Northeast, is that right? That's right. I grew up in and around New York City. Very cool. And then I think it was, it looks like Smith College for Economics was where you, where you really started off your professional career. That's true. Yes. I went to Smith College. It's a women's college in Western, Western Massachusetts. I first started my career in nonprofit. So I thought I was going to become a lawyer, but then really um, was very interested in fashion the whole time and was encouraged by my mentor at the time to not go to law school and pursue my passion um, in, in a career in fashion. So I, I listened to her advice and here I am today. Wow, that's fascinating. Actually, I worked for uh, one of the biggest lawyers in Western Pennsylvania and his wife would always tell the law clerks that we got in, don't continue your law career. This was like this was only like five years ago, and uh, I thought that was kind of fascinating that her husband was one of the most powerful lawyers in the area, and she was telling these guys not to do it. 
It's pretty common. So the nonprofit I work for was the Women's Bar Association of Massachusetts, and the whole board was uh, comprised of women attorneys in the area, and they all gave me the same advice. Hmm. Wow. I feel like it's tough, yeah. though, not to be allured by either arts or fashion when you're around New York City. I mean, is that what is that what really drew you in was your proximity? Actually, it, it was more close to home than that. Um, when I was young, so I was actually born in Seoul, South Korea, and I came to the States when I was six, and my father um, was college educated there, but like a lot of immigrants, his degree didn't uh, translate to the United States, so he was sort of a serial entrepreneur since we came to the States. And one of the businesses that he had for quite some time when I was young was running a dry cleaning business. And through that business is where I learned a lot about fabric and construction and how to care for them, how to care for garments and why certain garments are better quality than others. And he would, so I worked there every Saturday. Um, and I also love the interaction with the customers. So that's kind of where I learned a lot about garments and then also just my family like all of us really love expressing ourselves through fashion so I think it's just more a little bit closer to home than just the environment that I grew up in oh yeah absolutely and some some dry cleaning places even do like tailoring and alterations too so I'm sure you were around even learning about the construction of materials and you definitely learn trying to keep up the, the quality of the dry cleaning yeah, absolutely. I just always loved that experience of, um, so my mom was a seamstress and she was self-taught. I mean, she studied uh, interior design in Korea, so she didn't really do that here, but um, she, she taught herself how to do minor alterations and she actually got pretty proficient at it. And I remember customers coming in and her measuring them and just the transformative experience of getting clothes that didn't fit before and then now they fit when they pick it up and them being really happy about that. So that's something that stayed with me. Yeah, that's really great. So then uh, you make the move from the nonprofit into starting to do design work. Yeah, so I actually started out as a merchandiser in, at Theory and that was my first job in, in fashion and that was a woman's line at the time standard by, started by Andrew Rosen um, and it taught me a lot about the industry and how it works. Um, then I moved actually more into retail and at Saks, I sold theory on the retail floor. Also at the time I opened the Vince shop um, when Vince was kind of a new and emerging brand. And then I also sold Mark by Mark Jacobs and it was at that time that I decided that I wanted to go more towards design. So my first job in design was working for Puffy for his Jean by Sean Combs line at the time, which is another woman's collection. So uh, I was an assistant designer there, and um, then from that experience took me to doing trims at London Fog, and then my kind of final design experience was at Jones New York doing design there in their dress division. Now one of the things we had, we had spoken to uh, one of the other co-founders, and he did design uh, in very similar capacity in New York, was it, was it really cool for you to see things that you worked on out in the wild, like once it hits the stores and, and it gets out there, was that seems like it'd be a pretty neat experience. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's why designers exist is, is to put out what you create and also see how people use it and interact with it. It's, it's definitely rewarding in that sense. 
And I think too, you probably had a lot of your uh, experience from the dry cleaning business and interacting with customers there played into possibly your strengths as a salesperson for SACS and, and that whole experience, because that is really a, a higher tier retailer and it's much more personal than if you were at the Gap or at J. Crew. It, it was definitely a different experience from just your traditional retail position. And in fact, I think at SACS, they have a pretty rigorous recruiting and training program there. So I learned a lot while I was in the job. I really learned a lot about the entire life cycle of uh, a product once it reaches a store and then into a customer's hands. And that's still to this day what I love the most about this industry is about how people interact with the clothes and how it, it can really change the way they feel. And I think that's really what Bonfell does so well and how why our stylists care so much about their jobs is because they really enjoy that interaction with their clients. Even though it's online and they don't get to see them face to face, it's definitely the highlight of what we do. So you go from New York to San Francisco and you kind of do the, the technology thing, get out of fashion? Yeah, so, I, um, so after New York, decided I wanted to see a little bit more of the country. I was about to turn 30 at the time and I hadn't really lived anywhere besides the Eastern Seaboard. So I moved out to the Bay Area and I got a job in operations at Bear Essentials, but that was sort of when I realized that it wasn't as creative as I wanted and what I was looking for. And so that's when I went to pastry school. So while I was in pastry school, I supported myself by working for a friend who had started a company called Cardpool. And that was a secondary marketplace for gift cards. And I was their first employee, helped them with setting up their operations, stuff like figuring out you know, some <laughs> putting together some like fraud detection type processes, figuring out ways to better streamline what they were doing on the back end taught me a lot about what it was like to start a company from your living room. Um, and then they eventually sold that company to Blackhawk. So it was a really cool experience to be a part of. Um, and so I have just wrapped up at Pacer School and working at Cardpool, and that was when around the time when Bonville was born. Yeah, so how did you meet Bernie and Jason? Was that in the Valley or was that, uh, were they old connections? So, so yeah, we go way back. We're, we're really good friends. I, I like to say that we started all because Bernie wanted to look good while he was, he was looking for a girlfriend. <laughs> um, he kind of had like no idea what, how to dress and what to buy. And so he asked me for help because at the time, I was dating his best friend, and that's Jason. They met in college. And now Jason and I are married with two kids, but Bernie was really, like, looking for someone to date in, in the Bay Area. We would help him go shopping, but, of course, I also helped Jason shop, too. And because we were, like, transplants from New York, they were all living in New York when I met them. Um, when we were out in the Bay Area, we really spent a lot of time together, so... It was at that point where we're like, oh, well, maybe other guys need this too. I wonder if this would work. And so I think one night Jason put up a, just kind of like a website, like a splash page. And then I think they put up on Reddit, like who would be interested in this type of service. And then they had like 10 to 12 guys sign up for it. And I think from there, we didn't even take credit card information or anything like that. Like I got their measurements and then we we went to like Macy's and Nordstrom Rack used coupons and found a pair of jeans for each of them and I think nine out of ten guys who eventually signed up 
um, gave us their credit cards and they purchased the jeans that I selected for them, sight unseen. Yeah, that that is definitely a a found founder story now. But I I thought it was fascinating that it, it looks like you've got all three critical pillars of a business between the three of you. You've got Bernie, who seems to be like the finance business guy. You've got yourself, which is uh, fashion, and then you have some of your experience from the carpool thing, and then uh, your husband Jason, which is the technology guy. And so that's that seems like a perfect storm, uh, and especially being out in the Bay Area, that it seems like it, it was almost inevitable. Yeah, I mean, it was. it's just nice that we can rely on each other like that because we do kind of round out each other's strengths um, and we play off of each other's strengths and kind of round out each other's weaknesses. So we we certainly do appreciate that working out even today. I, I, I will have to say, though, you know, like we, we love this dynamic between the three of us and I think that it really works well for us. But I know of other companies where it's like a single founder and sometimes to have that very like, direct vision can be helpful too. I think the three of us sometimes butt heads are better for worse, but we still love love working with each other. We basically wouldn't happen any other way. So in 2011, you were definitely ahead of the trend for what we're looking at today with the trunk clubs and the birch boxes. You, you feel like you really created that. Is that where your intention to always have a subscription service or uh, just a remote styling service? How did that play out? So I think the theory behind how why we started it as more of a subscription service is that you know Jason and Bernie are kind of your your very like typical dudes dudes kind of like they they don't really want to think about what they need to buy and they're really thinking about buying clothes as some sort of like ATM transaction where you just kind of go in and tell the ATM like oh I want a pair of jeans and it spits it out for you. And so this is a long, you know, like when we first started in 2011, they were like, we don't have to want to have to talk about it or think about it. We just want to give you the money and have it fit, you know, and look good. So that was why we had done more of the subscription service model so that you didn't ever have to go to the site and really figure out what you wanted. It was more like, okay, like and any given year I want, you know, a pair of jeans, two shirts, a t-shirt, um, some socks, you know, and you just figure it out for me. Here's my credit card. You know, not everybody's like this, I understand, but I think at the time, Jason and Bernie were both in agreement that they didn't really want to think about it. They basically want to send it and forget. Yeah, I think it's definitely the modus operandi for most guys, especially the ones that I know. Yeah, like they don't, they don't want to really, it's confusing to them and they want to spend their time doing other things like, you know, playing video games or watching sports or doing stuff outdoors, you know. So how did you make the decision from, uh, you were out in the Bay Area or New York, how did you make the decision of which place to really kick this off at? So at the time, um, we were experiencing some growth and it was difficult for us to find merchandise quickly. So in the Bay Area, um, for instance, like we would have to go to trade shows in Las Vegas or market appointments in Los Angeles. And so we would have to travel. Um, there were some trade shows that came to the Bay Area, but they were very far and few in between and not a great representation of brands. And the thing that we love about Bombfell and what we're able to do is 
in terms of the brand and merchandising perspective is to be able to offer our clients a wide range of product sort of like I don't know like as a shopper I like to find unique merchandise I don't want to look like everyone else around me so I think one of the things that we did in the beginning was we started off as a subscription of, for guys who were like okay so let's build your staple wardrobe and you would get a pair of jeans or a t-shirt or a shirt that was all on trend and everybody got the same thing sort of like when birch box first started you would get the same box of samples so it wasn't personalized in any way but then we realized that people were people and they like being unique and different and so when we had two friends sign up. They didn't want to wear the same thing that their friend got, especially if they worked in the same office, for instance. So um, we realized that the personalization was a key factor. So then we kind of switched that around. Um, and so we were always trying to find new brands. And so in order to react quickly, we wanted to be in a place where it was easy to go out to the street and shop four to five different brands in the same day. Um, and we certainly have found that in New York, it made much more sense in a business perspective. Yeah, and I'm sure from stylists, merchandisers, I mean, that New York is crawling with them. Yeah, and the talent, of course, like you said, it was beneficial for us to move here. Now, you also, it looks like you've, you've rebranded, like you were saying, you shifted the business model a little bit. You've also rebranded from like the, the bomb with the shades on it. Uh, it looks like, though, it's very much uh, a maturing brand and maturing company. What's that transition been like? Yeah, so in the beginning, I think, so we were just sort of looking for a name. You know, Bombfell is derived from the male version of Bombshell, and so we call our guys Bombfellows. Um, and at the time, you know, we just, I think it was in the vernacular where people are using bomb and you're the bomb and instead of, you know, you're, you're cool. So it was, that's kind of where we got the name and so we just thought it was cute to get a guy as a logo with a little bomb head. Nowadays it's a little bit, you know, it may be viewed as a little insensitive. So, um, and we certainly don't want to be known for that <laughs> anymore. So we, we definitely took some initiative to clean up what we look like. And we also wanted to, it, as we were maturing as a business and acquiring more, you know, serious levels of uh, customers. We wanted to reach a broader audience and wanted to show people that we really knew what we were talking about. And so we kind of cleaned up the look. Now we're in the process of maybe going back to our roots and making it a little bit more simple for guys to understand what we do. Um, we are unique in that we have stayed true to our focus on the male customer and that's not changing anytime soon. We definitely want our guys to feel like they can connect with us. And I think that was the reason why we kind of had the cheeky kind of humor in the beginning. Um, but yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah. And it actually preempted another one I had about getting into the uh, women's wear world, but don't even need to touch on that one. So that's really cool, yeah. maturing, going back to the roots. I think I had tried it back when it was the the more um, kind of, I wouldn't say cookie cutter, but it was the, uh, you get, you sign up, you get this item, and that was kind of the operation. And so I've I've now tried both iterations. I like I like the new one a lot. I think I had talked to uh, 
I had talked to Sandro about some of the things that I really liked about it. But I'm, I'm just more curious from a broader from a broader perspective. I mean, what do you think of how fashion and menswear and retail is today? Uh, I really think that subscriptions and, and the e-com model is very powerful. Uh, is that something that you keep tabs on from you know the time that you were in, in retail? Or what do you think of what was really going on with the whole retail oh, apocalypse? Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I think that you just you can't escape it these days. I think everybody kind of knows what's going on in retail and how how quickly it's changing the landscape, especially in the United States. And I think it's actually pretty exciting. It's it's a pretty exciting time for retail because with the emergence of all these new brands and products, and I think what it's basically is a response to the consumer and what the consumer wants and how how social media is changing the way people interact with products and with companies you know and i think it kind of started with twitter when they kind of broke that barrier where customers were able to talk to their companies on on this virtual platform and i think with e-commerce, we're kind of breaking down the physical barrier, which is like the store. And, um, you know, things go in cycles, right? So now we're at a cycle where people really value the comfort of their home and want to be trying things on at home. Um, there's so much you can do from home. For instance, you're interviewing me now, um, and I'm in New York, and we're doing it over the internet. So I think it's just a, a new time. and so exciting to be in a space where everything is kind of reinventing itself and that literally is fashion that's what fashion does um fashion is cyclical fashion you can reinvent yourself through fashion so i think it's it's um pretty exciting to see what is to come and i love being a part of this space Totally agree. And I think there is definitely an awareness or a maturity with men in fashion overall, which is why you're starting to see plenty of people sign up, I'm sure. Yeah. So actually, the one thing I did want to note is about how the Bombfellow is, I think you had um, emailed me a question was, um, what what is it that you failed at? And the thing that I did fail at in the beginning was to not give our Bombfellows enough credit for for knowing about fashion because, you know, helping guys shop my whole life, I just assumed that guys didn't know about what was going on. But shockingly, to me at least, our buffaloes are very savvy and they know a lot about what they're purchasing. They might not know exactly what it is. They might not know why it's a good quality shirt, but it's it really shows through in our sales and in our business that our bombalos really care about the quality and um, and about fashion and style. You know, it's you wouldn't be able to tell that right away from the guys that come to us, but it definitely shows through in our sales. And I think that's really fascinating. That's a big lesson that I learned early uh, on. Yeah, that is, and it sounds like it, that is partially what informed your switch to the the more mo the newer model. Oh yeah, absolutely. Very cool. Yeah, I like to think I know what's going on, but I I can always learn. No, I think um, I, I've seen your reviews before, and I think that you kind of hit it right on the head. 
all the things that the reasons why our buyers selected the merchandise, you kind of nailed it. So definitely give yourself a lot of credit there. We can point people at Bombfeld. They can check that out. I've done uh, video reviews on it, just showing what I got. And I think it is one of the best services out of all the ones I tried, which is just after getting to try a lot of these out. And so that's very cool. Sarah, thank you for jumping on today. And I look forward to keeping track of Bombfell and see how you guys are approaching your roots. Thank you so much, John. Thank you for listening to the Buttoned Up Podcast, a collaboration between John Shanahan of The Cavalier and Brock McGough of Modest Man, and we will see you next week.